We are in a series called Be Rich. Uh, We are halfway through it, as Pastor Matt said, halfway through this emphasis this month. Uh, And last week, we talked about this idea of having a right relationship with money and where our heart should be uh, putting its hope, what we should hope in as believers, whether that should be money or the Lord. And this morning, we are going to continue talking about money. And so if you wanted to leave, you could do that now. It's mostly a joke. Um, but we, even as I, as I say that this morning and introduce the topic, if we're really honest, like we're in church, right? And so we can be honest with one another. If we're really honest, for some of us, just me bringing up money with a Bible open and standing up here, the tension in your heart has already started to lift, right? You already feel it a little bit. You're like, oh boy, here we go, right? Should've, knew I should have stayed home this morning. And yet, the Bible says very clearly that the reason that there is a tension there is because our money is so closely linked to our hearts. And so what you feel in your heart this morning is reflective of what's going on in your life. And I want to say a couple of things uh, at the outset. Number one, there's no ask at the end of this. I'm not going to have you come forward. There's no, we're not placing uh, offering envelopes on the, on the stage this morning. Uh, there's no capital campaign we're starting. I want to just continue to talk about what the Bible says about money. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit of God working in your life will prompt you to respond if and how you need to. My goal also this morning, this may be a little bit different than, than the, the normal sermon I preach here. Some of you guys are like, good, it's about time you changed it up. <laughs> My goal is to be very practical this morning and to uh, focus on just how and what do we do and how do we respond uh, to this. And so uh, that's my, my aim today is to see what the Bible says about generosity, about our hearts, and about our money, and then how we ought to respond uh, to that and give you some practical steps that you can take and then send you out of here to do business with the Lord from there, okay? So we're in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our entire series is rooted in this text, 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can flip over there. We're going to look again at verses 17, 18, and 19. This is what the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says. Verse 17, he says, As for the rich... In this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as your people, purchased by your blood, given an inheritance that we didn't earn, that you made secure for us by your finished work on the cross. And so as we sit here today, Lord, if we are a follower of you, a believer in Christ, Lord, we are more rich than we can possibly fathom because we have inherited heaven. We have been promised an eternity with you. And so God, from that place of safety, of security, from that place of not needing to earn our salvation or not needing to buy our way into your good graces, Lord, would you open our hearts to hear your word today? Would you speak to us, challenge us, remind us of what you've done for us, and then draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Main idea this morning, if you're a note taker, is very simple. It's that new hearts lead to new living, okay? New hearts lead to new living. 
We're going to focus our time today on the second half of verse 18. So we are zooming way in. The second half of verse 18 says that we are to be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share. That's the command that Paul gives here. We are to be generous and ready to share. And as I was thinking through the text this week and thinking through the shape of this sermon, I quickly kind of honed in on this and it's like, man, as a, as a good Baptist, that shapes up into two points. Let's roll with that, right? As I began to process and think and write a little bit and wrestle with this, uh, it occurred to me that these commands, be generous and ready to share, are nearly impossible. Like, does anybody else feel that this morning? When you hear me say, you need to be generous and you need to be ready to share, do you, anybody else go, I don't know if I can do that, Right? I, I found actually in the Bible that that's not an uncommon situation to find yourself in, to where you are given a command in Scripture, but you're not quite sure how to pull it off. You see, this is not natural to us. This is being generous is not something that comes naturally to us. Uh, once you, if you have, kid, have kids, you know that once they hit about two and a half years old, okay? You remember two and a half? Some of you, it's been a long time since two and a half. Some of you guys are right in the throes of, of the terrible twos, which are nowhere near as bad as the terrible threes. Um, but at this age of kids, what do you have, especially if you have siblings, you, how often do you find yourself saying to your kids, hey, you need to share, right? You need to share. Don't forget to share. Share with your brother. Share with your friend. No, you can't take that from them, right? That's what we do as parents. Why do we have to just hammer that home at the age two and age three and age four over and over and over again? Because they are hardwired to not be generous, and they are hardwired to not share. We come into this world, every one of us, our default mode, our factory settings is greedy and selfish. That's our default mode. Let me get all I can for me and hold it close. That's how we come into the world. And as we grow up and if we have good parents, we learn that that doesn't really work. And so some of us, we don't actually change. We just learn to hide our greed and our selfishness a little bit better. All right? Amen? Everybody's amen in that. Weird. Uh, we, we learn to hide it a little bit. And we learn it's not socially acceptable, so we, we give just enough so that nobody's mad at us, right? We give, uh, and we share just enough so that everybody feels like, oh, he's a decent guy, right? But deep down in our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves and really think about our own lives, and I, all of us, I think, are guilty of this to some degree, all of us just want more for us sometimes, don't we? We want more for us. And some of these commands in the Bible, like be generous and be ready to share, they are, I'm convinced, impossible to follow. There's another command in the book of 1 Peter. He's, um, he's speaking back to uh, an Old Testament command where the Lord says to be holy as I am holy. Have you ever read that in Scripture? It's another impossible command that God gives us. Philippians chapter 4 says that we are to be anxious for nothing. Anybody obey in that one? Right, there's verses in the Bible, and I think this one probably fits into that category, probably more of these than we realize, that are just unobeyable. Like, we can't do this. We are incapable of doing So we have to ask, why would God do this? Why would he command things for us to do that we can't accomplish? Here's why. I'm convinced that God wants us to live lives that are dependent on him. 
He wants us to live lives that are dependent on him. If we could do it all without him, we wouldn't need him. And God knows us. He knows our state. He knows our form, the scripture says. He knows that we cannot do it all and that we do need him. And there is no way to make it to him without his help. And so God sets before us impossible tasks so that we go, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. And we'll turn to him. And I think this verse, be generous and be ready to share, is the same thing. God wants us to cry out to him. I mentioned a verse earlier, Matthew 6, 21. The Lord Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus links our hearts and our money. And in this verse, the scripture is calling for us to live with our money in a different way, in a new way. And if it's really true that our money, our relationship to money is connected to our hearts, that means if we're going to behave differently with our money, we're also going to have to have new hearts, right? You see that connection? If we're going to be, uh, if we're going to act differently, live differently with our money, then we're going to have to have new hearts because our hearts and our monies are connected. And so we need new hearts. And therefore, new hearts lead to new living. So how do we get new hearts begins the question. Not how do we get more money, not how do we save more, not how do we invest better, but how do we get new hearts? That's the question we've got to ask if we're going to live out this command to be generous and ready to share. 500 years before Jesus comes on the scene, the prophet Ezekiel was speaking about the coming kingdom of God. He's telling the people of Israel the kingdom is coming, and he says this is what it's going to be like. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, this is what the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. Verse 27, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. The prophet Ezekiel, seeing our need for new hearts coming, God speaks through him and says, hey, here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take the old one out of you. I'm going to put the new one in you. And then verse 27 of Ezekiel chapter 36 says, and then you'll walk in my statutes. You see the order? For hundreds of years, even thousands of years, this has always been the order for God. He changes us on the inside, and then our actions change on the outside. So how do we do this? How do we get these new hearts then? God's going to place it inside of us. What are the steps? Jesus was talking 500 years after Ezekiel. He's talking to a man named Nicodemus, a man who probably had the book of Ezekiel memorized. And Nicodemus asked Jesus a question in verse 3 of John chapter 3. Jesus answers, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see this kingdom that Ezekiel prophesied about. You don't get to go in. You don't get to participate unless you're born again. And so Jesus, or Nicodemus asks the logical question, he goes, well, how do you do that? Jesus answers that question with the most famous verse in scripture. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see the chain that we've kind of made here? If we want to be generous and ready to share, 
if we want to change our activities, our behavior with our money, we're going to need new hearts because our actions with money and our hearts are connected. So we need new hearts. How do you get new hearts? You put your faith in Jesus Christ and he makes you new. He makes you new. How do we live differently, even in impossible ways? We begin with a heart transplant. We need to be born again. We decide that we believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, came down from heaven, walked among us as a man, lived a perfect life, fulfilling all of the law for us, and then died on a cross in our place, and then got up from the grave and walked out of it alive, and then ascended into heaven where he sits right now, interceding on our behalf. The Bible teaches that if we do that, if we believe that, and we turn from our way of living and say, I'm going to believe that instead, that we are made new. And we're given new hearts, and with new hearts come new desires. With new hearts comes new affections and new perspectives on everything, right? When you, when you start to love something new, right, doesn't your action change? Anybody here ever, like, pick up a new hobby, right? And I'm, I can be kind of an all-in guy sometimes, and so if I get a new hobby, then i got to get all the new stuff, Right? And you're just all you can think about, and you're searching it, and you're researching it, and you're, and you're asking your wife about the budget, which we'll talk about later, and she's like, oh, no, you can't afford that. And you're like, but I think, think we can. And you just go all in on this new thing. Why? Your heart is moving in a different direction, and so your actions follow. When we become new people in Christ, a part of the family of God, we get new desires around money. Money becomes not my money, but God's money, doesn't it? We, don't, we stop trying to build our kingdom, but instead we want to build the kingdom of God. We stop doing my will for my life, and instead we say, Lord, what's your will for my life? New hearts lead to new perspectives. No longer is it what's best for me, but Lord, what's best for others, we begin to say. We don't store up treasure for ourselves here on earth, but instead, as the scripture calls us to, we store up treasure in heaven. We don't live to get more, but we live to give more because of all that we've been given in Christ. If you try to be this person, someone who's generous and ready to share, if you try to pull this off apart from Jesus, you're going to fail miserably. You're going to fail miserably. We don't have what it takes in us to be this type of people. It would be like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It would be a lot like me trying to do ballet, right? I could do the moves and the motions, but it wouldn't be very pretty. I need to be reborn in a totally different body if we're going to do that, right? That's how it is with us trying to be the type of people the Scripture calls us to be apart from Christ. But when the truth of the gospel is the driving force of your life, you will find day by day, month after month, year after year, you look more and more and more like Jesus, and this becomes more and more and more natural to you. So with that as a foundation, how do we do it, right? How do we be generous people? If you're a Christian in the room today, what does it mean to be generous? I'm going to say something controversial, and I'm going to ask if you just hang with me, okay? Just hang with me. Don't leave. But I am convinced from Scripture that God does not command you and I as New Testament Christian believers to tithe, okay? I promise you promise you're going to hang with me. Hang with me. We are not commanded to tithe. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to give 10% of the first fruits of their harvest or of their cattle, of their crops, back to the temple, back to the Levite priests for the funding of the worship of God in the temple and the ministry that they would do. Leviticus 27.30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. 
tithe, that word tithe is a church word. It just means tenth. Like you could substitute one-tenth and it would mean the exact same thing. That's what tithe means. It's a tenth of your income. As Christians, you are not required, I'm convinced, again, by the law, to give 10% of your income. Here's, what, here's why. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. If you need a minute to turn there, you can. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. So the Apostle Paul, talking about the law, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, this is what he says. He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How did he do it, it says? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The apostle Paul says, and there's basically the entire book of Galatians is about this too, and it's all throughout the New Testament. The apostle Paul says that Jesus came and fulfilled the law for us so that we are no longer bound by the Mosaic law, okay? Some of you are still struggling with that. That's okay. Hang with me. All of us here, I would wager, live as if that's true in other areas. None of us here are following the Mosaic law in its totality. Anybody have bacon for breakfast today? The Mosaic law says you cannot do that. And so if you're going to insist that we have to tithe by law, you got to cut bacon out. Just solved it right there. Boom. <laughs> Nobody's giving that up. If you had catfish recently, against the law. Can't do it. Will you vacuum your home today? Against the law. Can't do it. Clean out your garage? Against the law. You're not allowed to do it. Do laundry? Whatever. We'll go over and over. All the ladies are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's against the law? No, we know and we've learned and we've understood that the Mosaic law does not apply to us anymore. Does that mean the principles of the Mosaic law are out of effect? Absolutely not. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But in the same way that we're no longer prohibited from eating pork, from working on the Sabbath or any of those things, we are also no longer bound to give 10% of our income to the church. The finance committee is squirming at the moment. I want you guys, again, hang with me. So what does it mean then to be generous? If the Apostle Paul says, be generous and ready to share, which by the way, if tithe was the rule, the Apostle Paul would have said, give 10% of your income and be ready to share. But he said, be generous instead. And generous is the New Testament, the law of Christ, if you will, the New Testament understanding of what it means to be a sacrificial giver, to be someone who contributes to the mission of God. Sacrificial giving is giving that you should feel, Right? This is the primary way the New Testament defines our giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks again about giving, and he commends the church at Corinth because they gave more than they could spare, he says. In other words, you could feel it. Your giving, it hurt. It created tension and difficulty in your life. And in order for a gift to be meaningful, it must cost us something, right? It's coming up on Christmas time. We're going to go to Christmas parties, perhaps, and be your office. I have a white elephant Christmas party. Have you ever been to one of those where you exchange gifts and you steal and that kind of stuff? One year, my wife and I were at a, one of those parties, and we were uh, unfortunate enough to end up with a set of hand towels uh, was the gift that we went home with. And I got to tell you, they look straight out of the 1970s. I'm talking colors we hadn't seen in 50 years, right? Oranges, like rust orange, browns olive greens, all mixed together as if they're supposed to go together, which they are not. And these hand towels were like, great. So we're talking to the person who brought the hand towels. 
And she was so proud because she said they'd been in her closet for years and she'd been hoping to get rid of them. (laughs) Do you think we took those hand towels home and just treasured them? Oh, what an amazing gift. No, it cost her nothing, right? It cost us a lot. We had to throw those things in the trash. (laughs) Conversely, gifts that require planning, thought, sacrifice, those are the gifts that mean the most, right? C.S. Lewis When asked about this giving question and should you tithe, how much should you give and that kind of stuff, he answered this way, and I I forgot to put it on the screen, so please forgive me, just hang with me. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid, he says, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving too little. If our charities or our gifts do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. So what does it mean to be generous? It means sacrificial giving. And we bring it around full circle. Here's what I think. I think 10% is where you should start. I think you should tithe, okay? I absolutely think you should tithe, tithe, but not because the law requires you to tithe, but because 10% is something you'll feel, amen? 10% is something you'll notice. It affects the way you'll live. It, it forces you to think and plan and pray and trust the Lord. Just as the principle of Sabbath is still in effect, we don't have to cease from all of our labors here on the Lord's Day. On Saturday was the Sabbath, by the way, not today. We don't have to cease all of our labors on that. But I would tell you as your pastor, if you work seven days a week, you need to stop it right? Wouldn't I say that? Wouldn't you say that to any friend of yours? In the same way, just as the law of the Sabbath is not still in effect, the principle of the Sabbath, I mean, of the, of the tithe is very much in effect. And if you're keeping all of the resources that God is giving you for yourself and you're spending them on you, I would tell you, you need to stop it. You need to begin giving and be generous and ready to share. God hasn't changed. I'm convinced he still thinks 10% is a good baseline, starting point for giving. And this is a discipline, isn't it? We've got to grow in, right? Nobody starts out eager to give away one-tenth of all the money that they have. Like Bible reading or prayer, we don't start off experts in it, do we, right? But over time, we get better at it, and we begin to love it more. We begin to see the fruit of it in our lives, and and God stirs up in us a joy in doing these things that once were hard for us. It's a discipline that we must grow in. And so I want to encourage you. Here's here's what I'm convinced of, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that every one of us has a next step in our discipline of generosity, okay? Every one of us has a next step in our discipline of generosity. If you're here today and you're not giving anything, you belong to this church. By the way, if you're a guest, let me just pause sermon, right? If you're a guest here, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Second, I don't want any of your money. Seriously, don't give today. Stop. Just don't. We're, you can just listen in, take this service as a treat. This is not an appeal for you to give. But if you are here and Fort Carolina Baptist Church is your church, right now I'm talking to you guys, okay? I want you to take your next step in giving. If you're not giving anything, my challenge to you is to make your first gift this week. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's $5. Whatever you feel like you can afford, whatever you feel like you can spare, just take the step of making your first gift, And trust the Lord to provide as you give away what he's given you. Maybe you're here today and you are someone who gives from time to time. 
You give when you get a little extra or when you have a $20 bill left over from the week and you drop it in the box and you're like, when I can, I give, you know, just sporadic giving. Your next step, I want to challenge you to begin giving regularly. Begin giving regularly. As often as you get paid, or at least monthly or some kind of routine or rhythm, begin giving. Whatever you decide you can afford, or maybe even a little bit more than you can afford, but whatever is the Lord tells you that you should do, I want you to commit to giving that regularly. Bring it every week and drop it in the offering box or set up automated giving online. That's what my family does. The things that are most important in our life, we automate, right? That mortgage, it comes out. I don't even like, I don't, I don't do it. I notice it come out, that's for sure, right? But I don't, I don't, I don't uh, it's auto-giving because that's so vital to my life, right, that we have a house, right? In the same way, giving is so vital to your spiritual life and to the mission of God. You could just do it automatically. I know that's not for everybody, that's fine, but I would encourage you to consider that. And so if you're not giving, make your first gift. If you're giving sporadically, I want to challenge you to give regularly. If you're giving regularly, I want to challenge you to increase your generosity. Take a next step forward. Could you increase your giving by a quarter of a percent or a half a percent? Take some time this week, go before the Lord in prayer and ask, Lord, what would you have me do? How can I take a step forward? How can I grow in generosity? And if you're here and you're already giving over and above and you're giving regularly, I want to encourage you to bring others along with you. Be a champion of generosity. Encourage people in that way. Offer financial coaching if you're in a place to help with those things. Here's the thing. When we live generously, church, God promises to supply all of our needs. In fact, this is the only place in Scripture where God tells us to test him. Did you know that? God says, test me. Bring the full tithe, he says in the book of Malachi, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We've got to be generous, church. We've got to be people who are eager to give away because God calls us to do that because he's been generous to us. The second thing, just for a minute, as we kind of head towards the end here, I want to encourage you to be ready to share is the second point. Be ready to share. Being ready, in order to be ready to give, to be ready to share, implies a level of planning, doesn't it? It implies you have some thought that goes into this. When I tell my kids in the morning to get ready for school, what I mean by that is I mean put your clothes on, I mean brush your teeth, I mean brush your hair, I mean get your breakfast, I mean put your shoes and socks on, I mean get your folders and put them in the bag, I mean get your water bottle, stick it in the slot. That's get ready for school. And if they don't get ready in the morning, when they step out of our car and walk into that school, Things aren't going to go properly, right? They do it without shoes or they do it without their homework, and it's not a great situation. And in the same way, for us to be generous, we have to be ready to share. We have to prepare and plan. And so I want to encourage you just a few really practical steps on how to be ready to share. Number one, I want to encourage you to decide you're going to be generous. Decide you're going to be generous. You, before the Lord, if you have a spouse, do this together. I would encourage you to go before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, would you help us to be generous people? Would you help us to be obedient people? And would you show us how to give and what to give? And then would you help us to do it? Make a conscious decision that you're going to live your life the way God calls you to. And then I would tell you to make a plan. I would encourage you to make a plan. Your budget is a plan for your money. Your budget is a plan for your money. And this is how... In God's economy, you ought to spend your money. The first 10%, I would again encourage you to give to your local church 
to support the mission of God. If you have extra over that, then you can plan for other giving to other agencies and organizations. That's great, but start there, 10%. Then I would encourage you to save 10% of your income. Put it away in a place that's safe so that you have uh, an emergency fund savings that you need. And then I would encourage you to live off the other 80% and live off of that, right? And if you can't do that, I recognize that's challenging for some people. I would encourage you to reevaluate kind of your setup, reevaluate the income, the job portion of it. Sometimes that's a little less flexible than our expenses. There are ways that we can cut, ways that we can save. I want to say just something real quick. I I know there are people in the room, uh, even now, who are struggling financially. Things are hard. Things are tight. Everything's more expensive. And you're listening to this dude stand up on stage and talk about giving 10% and saving 10%. And you're like, I'm spending 95 or 105%. How are we going to do that? I'm not even making ends meet right now. I want to tell you, the, I want to tell you first of all, the Lord sees that. The Lord knows that. But next, I want to tell you on a very practical level again that your church wants to help with that. Your church doesn't want to support you and prop you up and, and, and give you a stipend. Your church is willing to help, and there are people in our church who are willing to help get you back on your feet if that's your situation. But more than that, your church is willing to help teach you and train you how to manage money according to God's plan. In January, we're going to offer Financial Peace University. It's going to teach you some of these principles in a very practical way. If you want to sign up for that, you can do it right now. You can just stop listening to the sermons. I'll be fine with it. Sign up fcbc.life slash fpu. We'll get you there, Okay. But I want to tell you, no matter what you're dealing with financially, no matter what debt situation you're in, no matter what financial struggles you're having, that you can, according to God's plan for your money, get to a place where you go to bed at night without stressing about money. You can. You can get to a place where you're able to give and give generously. You can get to a place where money is not a stressful topic for you when the preacher stands up and says he's talking about money today. You don't want to run out of the room. You can get to that place by following God's plan. There's power in prioritizing your giving, church. I was in Atlanta last month or two months ago and had the opportunity to meet with an executive who works for Chick-fil-A. And his job at Chick-fil-A is to give away their money. That's his job. You see, in, in 1947, Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A. It was called the Dwarf House, just a restaurant, tiny little counter service restaurant in the Atlanta metro area. And he perfected uh, serving chicken sandwiches and began to open a second restaurant and then a third and the, the, the company grew. Early on in his ownership of this business, though, Truett, the owner, he committed to two biblical principles that we've talked about today. One, giving 10% of his income away. And second, to taking Sundays off or having a Sabbath of sorts so he and his employees could worship. He committed to those things really early on. The company grew and grew and grew, and countless executives and countless business experts told Truett, said, hey, you got to stop this giving 10% thing. Like you're throwing away all of our profits. You're cutting into our margins. And imagine what you could do with that 10% if instead of giving it away, you invested it back in the business. You could move things forward in dramatic ways. And Truett said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, you got to open up on Sunday. You're literally cutting revenue by one seventh or maybe more because it's the weekend. You got to open up on Sunday. And Truett said, nope, I'm committed to these biblical principles. And they say, you're going to kill your business doing this. Year over year, you know the story because you want Chick-fil-A right now and you can't have it. (laughs) Year over year, his business grew. And even to this day, the company still gives away 10% of their profits. 
The revenue last year was $6.4 billion. I'm not saying here this morning that if you tithe and if you make sure you rest once a week, that you're going to be a billionaire. You might. But that's not my promise I'm making to you. It's not that type of church. I'm making the promise to you, though, that if you honor God with your finances, honor God with your giving, and have the faith to live the way he's called you to live, he will take care of you. I promise you that. He challenges you to test him, and I want to encourage you to take him up on it. He'll meet your needs even in supernatural ways. You find me one time, I can tell you some stories of my life of God meeting needs in supernatural ways. He'll help you turn your heart to love him more instead of loving the things of this world more through your giving. He'll help you to be more engaged in his mission. And he'll change lives with the gospel proclamation that you're giving fuels. As we wrap, I, wanna just, I just want to share maybe some numbers and statistics with you, just be real honest with you. Again, we said we're going to be honest here. We're real honest about our church and where we are. Our church does a phenomenal job. Um, at stewarding the gifts that are given here. I've been a part of several churches in my ministry and I haven't met one or I haven't seen one that has better financial controls and, and stewardship than this one does. We have between 300 and 350, it's hard to nail it down, families who regularly attend our church in a given month who are just kind of engaged in our church. So 300 to 350 families, which means you know, sometimes husbands and wives and kids, so can I extrapolate the number of people. And in a given year, Right now, there's about 220 families who are active givers. These are people who give more than once or twice a year, but they're engaged throughout the year in giving. This is better than average, uh, better than the national average. In an average month, if we break it down just one month, we have about 195 families that give every month. And the average giving per family per month is $185. $185. Last month at our members' meeting, I shared four things our church must prioritize in this next season of ministry. And I got a calculator out and I, I did some, some math on what might happen, what might we be able to do if instead of 60% of our church giving, 100% of our church was giving. Not giving more, this is not even an increase in giving per person, this is just if everybody's engaged. We said we needed to go deeper in discipleship here at our church so we can have a robust faith in these tumultuous times that we live on. We could bring on a, 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 a true discipleship pastor whose only job, instead of sharing jobs, whose only jobs, job was to invest in us as people to live out our faith in a meaningful way. This means apologetics classes and leadership development so that we are equipped to live out our faith in the world around us. We could renovate the classroom space on our facility so that we can host more and more groups and classes and training events and outfit them with the technology needed to do presentations and classes and those types of stuff. We could hold seeker type of events where people who are curious about faith could come into those renovated spaces and hear the truth of the gospel and it might change their lives. I said also that we need to renew our commitment to reaching the next generation. You could ask Christy Hill, our kids director, if she would like another staff member on her team. What do you think she would say? Doing that, a dedicated staff member to focus on one age group so we could ha not have her running up and down the stairs. We have a great team of volunteers. We have a great team of coaches in that ministry. But I think every one of them would say, we need more help. Adding that person means increased partnerships with local schools. It means dedicated staff members who are able to help you with parenting 
issues, amen? Imagine having somebody you could just call and you know that that week they could get together with cof- for coffee for you and talk you through parenting stuff. Joe talked about reaching students and all the ministry that they're doing on local campuses out in our community. Joe's just one guy. Imagine just like in elementary, if in student ministry we had a high school leader and a middle school staff person, more focused ministry, twice as much engagement on college campuses, twice as much outreach, twice as much evangelism, twice as many gospel conversations. We said we've got to focus on training and sending to kind of replenish our leadership pipeline and send people out into the gospel mission. We could, if everyone was giving, fund two ministry residents who jump into a ministry area in our, full-time, in our church full-time and serve and, and, and learn from our staff on how to lead in this area. And they would stay here for two years. And at the end of those two years, we would send them out, commission them out to go plant a church, to go be a missionary, to go be a kid staffer or a student staffer at another church that's in need. Or if we had a need, we could bring them onto our team, but they would be trained and equipped to continue taking the gospel to the next generation. Or we could bring on four summer interns every summer who would get a taste of ministry, learn the basics of what it's like to be in ministry, discern their calling, and then propel us forward in key areas. We said also that we've got to focus on reaching the lost. Amen? We could do two or three or four major evangelistic events. I'm talking like renting parks or renting auditoriums and that, that reach thousands of people with the message of the gospel in our community. We could fully fund a ministry like Arlington Community Service for a year. Or we could plant a new church every year that this was happening. Plant a new church. Fully fund the whole church in an area that needs the gospel. Or we could send two international missionaries to a place in the world with no gospel presence, and they could give their lives away for the sake of the gospel. All we could do if all of us were all in and giving sacrificially to this mission. You might ask, which of these things would we do if everyone in our church started giving? What would we pick which is the most important. The Mass says we would do all of that. All of it. If everyone in our church committed to live the way God called them to live, give sacrificially in a way it hurts. Church, I know it hurts. But in a way that honors God with faith and trusts him to provide, all of that ministry could happen through Fort Caroline Baptist Church right here. All it takes is us Trusting God enough and living obedient to him, saying, God, you've made me new. You've been generous to me in Christ. You've given me a new heart. You've given me an eternity in heaven. I no longer live for this world, and so there's no point in holding on to all of this. Instead, I'm going to invest in the kingdom and trust you to take care of me, and we're going to see how many people we can take to heaven with us. It's ours for the taking, church. And so some questions to close with. First and the most important, the money part of this sermon is irrelevant if you do not have a new heart. If you've not been made new in Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus for salvation, the money is totally irrelevant. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to put your faith in him right now. He will make you born again with him. Guarantee your salvation in heaven for eternity. And for the rest of us, those who are Christians in here, I want to ask you, what is your next step in being generous? Are you committed to being generous and ready to share? How can you take a next step forward? Make your first gift. Give regularly. Give generously. Help others along. Maybe your next step is you come talk to me and say, hey, I need some help. I can't do any of those things because we're drowning. I want to come talk to you. You can email me. Uh, if, you're, if you don't want to talk face-to-face, that's fine. You can email me. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's sr underscore pastor. Is that right? 
That's great. That one worked. I'm going to do the other one. Is that okay with you, Lori? Thank you. I have to run everything here by Lori. Um, SR underscore, short for senior, SR underscore pastor at fcbcjacks.com. You can find it online. Just call us. We'll, we'll figure it out, right? But just reach out to me. Email me, and we'll get you started. We would love to help. We have people in our church that would love to help, and we'll do it discreetly in an encouraging way and help you get on your feet financially so that you can begin to live the way that God's called you to live. All right? I've taken too much of your time. Let's pray, and then let's worship the God who generously gives us Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the riches of the cross, the riches of the kingdom of God poured out on us undeserving sinners. We thank you for making us new in Jesus, and I pray that you would help us to live like new people. Would you make us generous and ready to share, not to earn your love, but because you've already given it. So help us to live generously in response to your grace and mercy towards us. God, we want to see this world change for Jesus. We want to see our community reached for Christ. Would you use our church and our giving to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.